uh, when I was deceitful, it was awful. You know, I had a lot of self-loving, a lot of regrets, and I knew it was wrong some way, but I just, you get into the situation, you just can't stop, you just keep going around that circle, and at some point, I just realized I needed to break my cycle and start getting better. Take a girl and a guy, and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate, a dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. Welcome back to another episode of Couples Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Be sure to check us out online on our Facebook page and Instagram at Couple Synergy or our website, couplesynergy.com. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couple Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring you our experience helping thousands of couples transform their relationships for nearly 20 years. You know, every day we get to hear intimate details about a couple of celebrations, disappointments, and everyday challenges. We've often wished these stories were shared because we know we are more similar than different. And so we've created not only an avenue where you can hear about people's intimate lives, but an atmosphere where people come over to our home pub, pour a drink, and share their stories. People like today's guests, Eric and Wendy, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks Hi. for having us. Thanks for having us. And we are doing this remote. You guys are in California, is that correct? Correct. Yep. What part? Rancho Santa Margarita. So it's in Orange County. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, it's Southern, Southern Orange County. So nice. We have some good friends in Temecula. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, sure. they, they actually opened a Rosati's out there in Temecula. So they're killing it out there. <laughs> nice. Is, a, is Rosati's a restaurant? Rosati's is a Chicago pizza chain restaurant. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's very delicious. I'm not opposed to pizza. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you guys can, we could start by you guys telling us a little bit about yourselves. How old are you? What do you do for a living? And, and how long have you been together? Hi, everyone. I'm Wendy Barr. I am, how old am I, Eric? 58, I think. Yeah, 58. I lost track after about 50. Yeah, and I'm married to this amazing man, Eric Ratterman. And we live in Southern California. We have a, a cute little dog named Marley. That's a story in and of itself. And we've been married, let's see, we met on January 11th, 2011. So 1-11-11. So that's kind of fun number. And we met, the interesting thing is we met at a wine tasting party. So it was a meetup where you go and taste wine. And I had been out of the country for several months and just went there to hang out with my girlfriends. I had no intention of meeting anybody. I wasn't looking for anybody. I had, was divorced about a year prior and I was not interested at all in meeting someone, but there he was. At that time, Eric had really long hair, curly, naturally curly. And uh, a friend of Eric's introduced us because I had met his friend the month before at the same meetup. And he said, hey, meet my friend Eric. And I saw him and, oh, God, he's just so cute. His blue eyes and his curly hair. And I said, 
excuse me, sir, but can I touch your hair? And yeah. Can I so touch I, your hair? Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a pickup line. That is a pickup right? line. Yeah. How about you? How old are you? Um, what do you do for a living? And what was that first time seeing her like for you? I'm 48 and I work in the technology industry. I'm a Python developer and I work for a company based in Denver, where we're both from. And that's actually where we met was we were both living in Denver. Both of us were born and raised in Denver. We only moved out here, then, what, four years, a little over four years now. My friend asked me to this wine tasting event. and Was this an I event went. for singles? It not is necessarily. Yeah. But it's, it's not necessarily. So there's couples there. So it's more about the wine. <laughs> it was more about meeting people, yeah, just friends or whatever. And what was your first impression of Wendy? Well, I have a preference for redheads, and she was, you know, redhead, curly hair. And the moment she touched my hair, I think I fell in love. <laughs> was it that quick for you too, Wendy? I knew he was something special for sure. Absolutely. I, um, like I said, I was recently divorced, so I was a little, I don't know, standoffish, but he, he was super cute. And I came home and called one of my girlfriends and I said, yes, but he has no fashion sense. He's wearing, he's wearing chucks. And, and she said, Wendy, that's very fashionable. Where have you been? He must be really cool. And I said, you mean that's cool? And she said, yeah, it's really cool. And I said, oh, cool. I, I kind of get to know this guy, but, and Eric is, 10 years younger than me. I was a little nervous about that piece. What were you nervous yeah, about? I think probably, you know, that it wouldn't be long lasting. And I really just didn't want to waste my time. Mm-hmm. I just, I do fine on my own. I don't necessarily, I didn't feel like I needed somebody in my life. But of course, I hadn't met Eric, who is my everything. And I've never met a man like Eric that's so caring and so nurturing and Every day, his focus is on making me happy. I've never met a guy like that. So I had no idea what I was missing. Was age ever an issue for you, Eric? No, actually, it wasn't. Obviously, there's a difference. But I just figured, you know, age is a number. And as long as we get along really well, which we do, and hardly ever argue or anything, um, it doesn't necessarily matter. Plus, I'm very immature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gene and I were six years apart. I'm I'm six years younger. And I think the some of the differences we've seen is just in music taste, right? <laughs> yeah, that's probably the biggest one. Right. Well, that's what's funny. We have the same music taste. We go to concerts. We both like rock and roll. And we go to concerts. And that was one of our first dates. I think we went and we saw Link, Lincoln, Lincoln, Park. Park. Lincoln Park. Yeah, that was really fun. Went to Av's game. We just, we, we were pretty inseparable right from the beginning, but we definitely had some challenges. Our biggest challenge was after a few dates, I realized that Eric was an alcoholic and he was drinking alcoholic. So he hadn't really come to terms with it quite yet. And, and, and again, we met at a wine tasting meetup, right? So, so that was probably our very first and one of our biggest challenges. Because at my age, at that point, I, late 40s, I, I wasn't, I didn't really want to go down that path and I didn't want to fix anybody. It wasn't my responsibility and I realized that. And so I, 
I basically told Eric, I'm not interested. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. Eric, did you consider yourself an alcoholic or was she seeing things that just made her uncomfortable? Oh, yeah, I, I definitely knew. As you'll see from my bio, I spent 20 years as a chef in the restaurant business, mm -hmm. which is really hard. Alcohol and drugs are rampant. Actually, one of my restaurants sent me to rehab already. So then I relapsed, of course. And then, yeah, I knew that it was time for me to stop. I just couldn't. I needed something to look forward to. So this is fairly early on in your relationship where this is a primary issue. Yeah, it's probably yeah. within the first mm -hmm. three months. So I already, you know, you asked me if I knew. Well, I knew I, I really cared a lot about Eric. And so I was already fairly invested even in, in the first three months. So I said to Eric, yeah, I'm not going to do this. Listen, we can be friends. Happy to be here for you, but I'm not, I'm not going to help you through this. And I said, I'm going to leave. So I left and I went to Hawaii for a month. The night before I went to the airport, Eric came over, he spent the night and he was going to drive me to the airport the next morning. When he showed up, he was completely and totally wasted. Mm. And I was so upset, like the night before I'm leaving and I'm leaving because of this, that you're, you know, this wasted. So he drove me to the airport the next morning and I went to Hawaii and stayed with family for six weeks or so for a long time. And like the first week or so, Eric called me and he said, I have to tell you something. And I said, what? And he said, I'm sober. I, I stopped drinking the day I dropped you off at the airport. And I said, hold on, hold on. Don't do this for me because I've never even met sober Eric. Like, I don't even know if I'd like him. Like, I can't promise you any tomorrows. And if you did this for me, then, you know, we might we might have a problem moving forward. Can you talk about, Wendy, about how you had the strength and how you made that decision that this wasn't a healthy situation for you and you were going to remove yourself from it? So I think a lot of women well, stay too long. Truly. And Jean, I am one of those women. And I had already done that many times in my past. And I think that one of my biggest struggles as a, as a human being, as a woman here on this planet has always been boundaries. So I've never really done well with, with boundaries. And I, I've done enough inner work and personal work to know that when a challenge comes your way like this, the only way to establish to, to, to fix this broken piece of you is to do what, do the hardest thing, which is establish boundaries. And so I said, yeah, I imagined what my life would look like living with an, an alcoholic, the ups and downs. And I don't do well with that. I really need it even across the board. And my ex-husband had, you know, he, he was wonderful, but he had a lot of moods and I just, that was one of those things that I just couldn't live with. I need to know what to expect every day. I, I can't live with ups and downs and a roller coaster ride. So I made that decision that no matter how it felt, I would be okay alone. So if he, if he couldn't rise to the occasion or this relationship didn't work out and there was never another one, I'd still be okay because I had me and I was strong. Eric, is there a family history of addiction for you? And then also, did you initially decide to to become sober 
because of Wendy? So my family history is a little hard because I'm adopted. Okay. Um, and my adopted parents, no, they hardly ever have a drink. I mean, they might go have a glass of wine during the holidays, but that's it. They don't really drink. So it's possible your biological family has a history. It, yeah, it is possible. I know nothing about them. Mm-hmm. So that's a little difficult. It's always difficult to look at my history and my past history based on that. But as far as wanting to quit for Wendy, no, it wasn't for her. It was for me. Like I told you, I knew it was time for me to stop. I just couldn't. I didn't have any positive influences in my life to help me to say, you know, this is what you're missing out on in life. Actually, right before we met, I was hospitalized for pancreatitis. Pancreatitis, yeah. And it was due to heavy drinking. So yeah, I, I already knew that it was time to stop. I just when I met Wendy, I knew that there was something special about her and I knew that I couldn't mess this one up. I had a lot of regrets over losing jobs and other things in my life. And so I was like, this is the one that I cannot mess up. So I made my plan, started <laughs> doing that. The plan. So he calls me in Hawaii and he says, you know, I'm, I'm sober. And then he says, well, and I told him, you know, don't do this for me. And he said, well, I have a plan. And I said, you know, what's your, I don't want to know your plan because I don't want to fix this because I know me, you tell me the plan and I'm an implementer. So I'm going to be like, okay, this is how we implement this. And I didn't want to do that. And I said, well, I'm sure I said, are you going to AA? And he said, no, I don't want to go to AA. I don't resonate with their principles. And I said, well, then I'm sure your plan won't work. Forget it. I said, call my friend Kimberly. She's a psychotherapist, right? So call my friend Kimberly and tell her your plan. And if she says it's a good plan, well, then I'll explore this with you. So what was Eric that called plan? Kimberly. <laughs> yep. The first thing I wanted to do was find a therapist who specialized in, in addiction. And so I did that and I started seeing her and she actually was sort of a natural based physician. So she had me drink a lot of teas and a lot of things to help me help my body recover from the damage. And then we did a lot of work. And then also, you know, I had this plan for quitting. I basically just quit cold turkey. And ironically, the same week she went to Hawaii, I was scheduled to go to Vegas with a friend of mine for his birthday. And so two days before that, I just called in sick from work. And I slept all day. It's not the good, not the right way to do it. <laughs> just so you know, it's not the right way to do it. But this is how I did it. I just slept all day, made sure to drink a lot of water, and then I felt good enough. And I went to Vegas, which was another not a good idea. All your friends are drinking and partying and stuff, and, but they were really nice. They didn't they didn't try to make me force me to do things. Um, I became the bartender, the deep, the yeah. driver. He was the bartender. The <laughs> <laughs> I imagine you're just white knuckling it through it through it all. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. But you know, then I started to see the therapist and things got much better. That's basically what the plan was is see a therapist, start that, and then yeah, just make it through it. 
later we found some groups that that weren't as uh, that the, their principles were different than AA and Eric did join that group. Was it called Life Ring or something yeah. like that, Eric? And they had meetings similar to AA. But Eric's an introvert, and the whole thought of going to AA and actually participating, sitting in the back, okay, but the whole thinking about inter- interacting was very, very difficult for him. So Life Ring was smaller groups, less religious. Um, so he, he felt accepted. And so he did go to, and then he also did another program. It was like a six week program or a three month, or was it a year? What was that other program that you did, Eric? Where? Yeah, it was like six week program. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just basically awareness. Was that like a residential a program? No, no. So it was just kind of a group setting type mm-hmm. of program. Okay. Yes. Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, throughout our years and in, in working with people, there are a lot of people that have issues with uh, higher power and the religious aspect of AA. I and mean, there are a lot of people that benefit from AA. But, you know, I think that there are there's this need now to create different types of support groups and different types of structures for people that are struggling with addiction. And, and so there, I know there's a harm reduction model. You know, there's a lot of different models out there right now. But I, I think I always encourage people to find a group that fits for them, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, Eric's a rock star. I, I watched him do this. He made shakes, chocolate shakes with dried mushroom powder. And all, he drank all these teas and licorice and all these. He was very, very committed. And I was happy to stand by his side. And, you know, like I said, I wasn't going to fix him, but I would support him. And one of the things that I chose was not to drink ever around him. I I rarely drink at all. I was never really that dependent on it. Anyway, it never really mattered to me much. So it was easy for me to say, so that way when we were in situations, like we went to plenty of weddings and parties and everybody was drinking. And I think it helped Eric that one person there wasn't drinking that he could talk to that wasn't, didn't have alcohol on their breath. So that was your way of supporting him through this. Right. And to this day, so we're about, I think Eric's nine years sober. You know, we had one relapse in the middle, which threw us off kilter a little bit, but I had already made my decision. I'm super happy in this marriage, but I have made a commitment that to myself, that if, it ever happened that Eric decided he chose to drink, then yeah, and I would leave. That would be it. That that was the decision I made. No matter how invested I am in this, if he decides to choose his other girlfriend mm. over me, that and that's kind of and that's always what I tell him. If you choose her, that's okay because that's an all that's a big commitment to her and it's consuming, all consuming. And you wouldn't have time for me. So if that's the case, then I'm out. And and that's not a threat to Eric because he he can make that choice. That's fine. It's his choice, but I get to make my choice too. And my choice is not to live with an alcoholic that's drinking. So how soon after returning from Hawaii and him starting on his recovery program, did you guys resume your relationship? Oh, immediately. Immediately. Okay. Yeah. 
we talked a lot on the phone while I was in Hawaii. And then when I got back, Eric picked me up from the airport and Eric made me an incredible meal. And I was really sick. Wasn't I sick, Eric? When I came home, I had like a really bad cold and he nurtured me and cooked for me. And yeah, so immediately we're pretty attached. Eric, what was it like for you that six weeks that she was gone? It was hard. Not only was I struggling on, you know, the alcohol piece, but also her not being around for a while. But I just focused on what I needed to do to get better. And my work, I just made it through it. We talked every day, so that helped. And what's the story with the relapse? That was two, three years. Into it. Into it. Yeah, into it. I had always, you know, thought that maybe at some point, once I felt 100% better and got myself better, that maybe I could start drinking again, like a normal person. And yeah, that didn't work. And so there was about three months where I was experimenting on seeing whether I could drink like a normal person. And it ended up right back to where I was. So. Was this something that you did with awareness and with honesty or were you being sneaky? Sneaky. Definitely sneaky. Actually, it was always when I was drinking, it was always during the day while I was at work. Because he didn't want me to know. And I think the hardest part for me at that time in that little blip of our lives was that I didn't notice. The three months went by and I didn't notice. And so that really scared me because I thought, you mean you can drink and I wouldn't even know. So it was very, I felt deceived, really put through a wrench in our relationship there. Because of course, like I said, I made that commitment to myself. So I asked him to leave. You have to leave then. I'm sorry, I'm not going to do this. And then he, you know, he said, I'm I'm going to stop. And that's when we went to AA. I went to Al-Anon and Eric went to AA and we did whatever we could. And I said, I'll stick by your side if your goal is to quit drinking. If your goal is not to quit drinking, then let's just not even play around. Just let me go. He really did want to stop, but he, he really went down that rabbit hole and it was very difficult for him to climb out. The second time was harder than the first time. But I'm so proud of him because he was so diligent and he cared enough about this family and about himself. How did yeah, you find to out? Quit. Yeah, how did I find out, Eric? I'm trying to remember. It was, an, oh, I remember. It was one evening. You came home from work. You were extremely wasted. You were late. And you told me. You told me. You were just honest with me and said, I've been drinking all day. And my, I mean, my whole body just was, how is that possible? And yeah, it turned out that he had been drinking for months and when it just blew my mind that I, I didn't know he was drunk that night and I didn't know that he was drunk every night for the past few months. It just, well, it, you know, it started out you know, slow. I would stop with enough time, a couple hours before I would leave home so that I would sober up a little bit, but the more it went on, the harder it was to stop when I needed to. How did you decide to come clean at that point? Again, it was, I was, well, this time, I guess it was, I was faced with that choice again. She said, I want you to leave unless you're serious about 
getting better. And so I thought, well, I did it once. I can do it again. And I remembered that there was something special about her and I couldn't mess this up again. We had a good life. We had just got married. We got married barefoot um, on a beach in Waikiki. Like we, yeah, we, we had a really good life. I mean, it was, and that's what we talked about, you know, like this, like what, what's your choice? Because this is a really good life. And then there's just alcohol. Like, and I, I didn't understand because I was like, it seems like a no brainer to me. I just walk away from it. If it's going to ruin your life, that would just walk away. And it wasn't until I went to Al-Anon that I, you know, understood a little bit more about the disease and about how it felt in his body. And we did a lot of talking. One of the things that I love about Eric is that we can talk about this. So there's never a time that he goes, I am so sick and tired of you bringing this up. Or, you know, I travel a lot for business. And sometimes I'll come home and I'll go, did you drink? And he'll go, no, but he doesn't get mad at me and go, I am so sick and tired of you asking me these questions, you know, and I can ask him anything. Like I can talk to him about it and say, you know, what it, what does it feel like when we go out and there's some people right next to What does it feel like if people come to our home and drink, bring their own alcohol, like if we're having a get together and he says, oh, it doesn't bother me, but he doesn't get mad at me for asking. And I really have a lot of respect for him because it's the only way I could learn about it. It's the only way I could have learned about this disease is from him telling me his viewpoint. Otherwise, I would be walking on eggshells all the time. And I'm, I'm, I never walk on eggshells around Eric. Yeah, we're pretty open about the whole situation. So. Eric, what was it like for you when you were being deceitful? And what does it feel like for you when she asks you and holds you accountable? Uh, when I was deceitful, it was awful. You know, I had a lot of self-loving, a lot of regrets. And I knew it was wrong some way, but I just, you get into the situation, you just can't stop. You just keep going around that circle. And at some point, I just realized I need to break my cycle and start getting better. Now, when she, like, like she said, when she goes out on the way on business and comes back and said, did you drink? It doesn't bother me at all because I realized that this is a big thing in our relationship. We're very honest and open. So I just know that the question is coming and it doesn't bother me that she asks. I just answer honestly. I, I imagine talking about it with her and having that, that transparency only supports your recovery. Yes, it definitely does. It's like a state of mind for me that it's not an option at all. I know I've, I've learned that I can't be a normal person when I drink. I know that, you know, one more drink and I'll be right back to where we were. Yes, yeah, it's not an option. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and Eric... I mean, is a, is a superstar. So at the time that he was getting sober, I was teaching. So I was a college professor teaching at a pretty big school. And I told Eric, I said, listen, you know, one of the benefits of my teaching, of my employment, is that my family members can go to school for free. If, in fact, you've always wanted to get a degree, if there's any degree you're interested in getting, you know, you're, 
you're welcome to take advantage of this. No pressure. I don't, I don't care if you have a degree or not. I'm madly in love with you. And I said, but here's the link. If you, so he, he actually did choose to go back to school for IT and network security. And I was really nervous about the pressure. He worked full-time and went to school full-time. And I was really concerned about all that pressure on him that, you know, he might relapse. And he, he was a rock star. He, I mean, it was four years practically of our lives that both of us were under a tremendous amount of pressure while he got his degree, but he did it. He did it and he did it sober and extremely proud of him. And then um, shortly after that, I lost my job actually towards the tail end of his degree. Matter of fact, we had to pay for the last class because I had, I was laid off because the school was, yeah, really struggling. So Mm. then new pressure, right? So here now Wendy's unemployed and searching. So for almost, I don't know, almost a year I searched for a job and wasn't able to find one. So there's all that financial pressure. And then there's all the you know, your spouse going through something pressure, but yet he still stayed sober. And I'm so grateful for that. And then shortly after that, I started my own business. So (laughs) brand new pressure, right? Because I started my own business and there was still all that financial pressure. And then there was all the pressure that I was under to succeed and achieve. But he is my rock. He has stood by my side and he, every time I said, listen, I'll just go be a barista at Starbucks. I don't, we don't need this pressure. Well, I, you know, here I am with a master's degree and I couldn't find a job. I had 17 years as a college professor, yet I couldn't find a job. Then starting a business, you know, there's a, there's a curve. You don't make, you just don't make money right out of the gate. You've got to trial and error and you've got to figure out what they want to buy and who, who to sell it to. And it's, it's all very challenging. And Eric has stood by my side. I'm three years now in business and we're finally kind of getting to an even keel. And again, I mentioned at the beginning of this talk that the roller coaster ride is extremely difficult for me just as a person. And so that's what a new business is, a roller coaster ride. You know, it didn't set well with me, but yet Eric stood right by my side. So, what was what was it about each other that you fell in love with? Everything. <laughs> she's she's just the most amazing woman that I've ever met. She's kind. She's caring. Very nurturing. And I've just never been around anyone like that before. Let alone dated anyone. He's the same way. He's the same way. I, I once I remember before I met Eric, I asked. There was this couple, it was at a wedding reception and there was this couple there and they were very much in love. And I asked them, I said, what's, what's the secret? Like, what's your, what's the secret to a long lasting relationship? And they said, the secret is that every day your goal is to make the other person as happy as possible. Like that's your goal is to find ways to make their life easier and to make them joyous and I thought, uh, whatever, I'll never meet anybody like that. I never had. And, uh, but that is Eric and I, if we argue over anything, it's like, 
over doing things for each other. No, I'll do it. No, I'll do it. No, let me do something for you. No, let me do something for you. That's probably it, what we argue about. I think it's a very important point because a lot of couples, you know, every couple starts out loving each other. That's just, you know, they're attracted to each other. They got passion, excitement. But over time, that's when they start to get really challenged. You know, all these these life changes that you guys are talking about is a lot of pressure for an everyday couples. You know, you throw in their addiction and it just intensifies it even more. Right. But that, that investment in each other is, is very important. And a lot of couples get into this negative pattern of having competition. Right. And then they start circling the wagons and being a lot more selfish. You know, what are they doing for me? kind of thing versus, you know, reaching out and actually helping each other. Right. Yeah. We, we got pretty lucky on that one because it doesn't seem to be an effort. It's both of our natures naturally to nurture and to do things for each other. I, I think, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know what Eric was like in other relationships, but he's told me before that that wasn't necessarily the case, but that there's something about me that he likes that he really, he likes to nurture me and I, I appreciate it for sure. I think it helps too. Both of us have had, you know, two failed marriages, both of us. And so we've learned along the way, you know, how to treat each other and how to support each other. Yeah. It's definitely helped. How did you guys decide to get married? Eric proposed at sushi. He put the ring he put the ring in a sushi roll or was it a sushi roll, Eric? Yeah. Well, it wasn't in the roll, but it was on the plate. <laughs> it was on the plate. Yeah. Just super sweet. Were you surprised? Yes. I was surprised. I mean, I knew we were heading in that direction for sure. We had already been living together, but I, um, yeah, I was really surprised that night and I was elated and the, you know, the ring is gorgeous and yeah, I adore my husband. How far into your relationship was this proposal? Um, Two years? Yeah, about two years we had been living together. And we were together every night anyway. And he would be staying, he was staying at my house every single night. And we were pretty attached at the hip. And then decided to make it official and have him move in. And uh, that's around the time we got our dog. We, uh, she, yeah, I saw her picture on Facebook. And they, and the post said, this dog will be euthanized on Tuesday because we can't find a no-kill shelter for her. And I said to Eric, can we meet her? I just like, I just want to meet her. I'm not, I don't have to make a commitment. Just, and he said, honey, we don't even know if we can live together yet. Like we, we're just moving in together. And I said, yeah, you're right. So can we meet her? And we finally, um, she wasn't even in state. She wasn't in Colorado at that time. She was still in, she was in New Mexico. And I, I called twice a day, three times a day asking about her. And finally they brought her to Colorado. We went and met her. And it was funny because when we walked into the little cage, I, she, I saw her and I, I mean, I was in love with her from the first time I saw her and Eric sat, Eric sat down on the little bench and she climbed up on his lap and snuggled her nose in his neck and she knew she had to win him over. And he just looked at me and he said, okay. So, and Eric's parents, Eric has an amazing, um, has some really wonderful parents and I adore them. I, I couldn't ask for better in-laws and they went with us to meet her and, 
And also during that period that we, right after we got married, shortly after we got married, my mom passed away. So that was another one of those challenges because I was walking around with my head on backwards talking to myself. And But Eric's parents have really stepped in and act like they're my parents as well. So it really got... I really got lucky. I got a whole family. And mm-hmm. to this day, Eric's mother calls me on Mother's Day. She calls me on my mother's birthday. She calls me on the day my mother died. She she never misses a beat as far as when I might need some emotional support. She's absolutely the most amazing woman. And the same thing with Eric's dad. He's exactly what you would think a dad should be like. Mm. He's just traditional and supportive and warm. He's amazing. So yeah, I, I lucked out. Wendy, when I work with women and they end a relationship, I often recommend they go through the one year plan, which is, this is the time that you become the person you want to spend the rest of your life with because Mm. you'll never attract someone who wants to spend the rest of their life with you if you don't become that person. And it sounds like you did that. It sounds like there was a period of your life where you really got to know yourself and find those boundaries and expectations for yourself that you then were able to have that strength in a relationship. Can you talk about that time? Sure, Jean, you hit the nail on the head. So when I divorced my second husband, you know, I was 48-ish and maybe 47. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. I basically, I packed up and of course I went to Hawaii, stayed in Hawaii about three months with my family, but I really wasn't enjoying Hawaii. It was my first time in Hawaii. I really wasn't enjoying it. I was really quite a, a mess emotionally that this marriage had ended. I'm 48 and another failed marriage and where did I go wrong and what's wrong with me? And so I came back and funny, I had um, some surgery, skin surgery that became infected. I became, I had, I I developed a staph infection and my ex-husband had to come over and help me, which felt like a, like total failure. Like, like I can't live without him because now he has to come over and fix my wound. And it was, it was winter and I couldn't go anywhere because it was on my leg. And so I was stuck at home with my feelings and my failures. And I created, um, I found this website. It's called housecarers.com. And I went in there and I built a profile. And basically you can travel somewhere and take care of somebody's animals or take, water their plants or whatever and stay in their house. And I got this house sitting gig in Greece. And so I packed up and I went to Greece. I, I stayed three months in Europe because I was an online college professor. So I had my laptop, I just packed up and I went to Europe and I was in Italy and I was in Switzerland and I was in Greece and um, Amsterdam. And I traveled around, came back about three months later, give or take. And yeah, you're right. I really spent some time with my, I was all alone. I mean, I was in, I was dog sitting for these people in this remote little fishing village in an hour south of Athens and nobody spoke English. I really had to be alone with my feelings and it wasn't easy. There were a lot of tears. There was a lot of confusion, but it was shortly after I returned. Um, When I came back, I left again. So I did Hawaii. Then I did Europe. Then I went on a cruise with a girlfriend. And it was after that, when I came back from the cruise that I met Eric. 
And I said to one of my girlfriends, do you think I'm running away from my problems? And she said, no, you're just changing your routine. You're, you're creating a new routine that doesn't include your ex. And that's the fastest way to heal. And interestingly enough, it, it worked. So when I came back, I was pretty, I was good. I was good to go. I had no intention of meeting anyone, but yet there was Eric with his blue eyes and curly hair, irresistible. And one of the things that we talk about with people when they're nearing the end of a relationship is that if you don't figure out what this person came here to teach you, you're going to recreate it with the next person. And you guys totally. have both been through two other marriages. Were they identical? Did you learn from those? What happened with those? Well, for me, my first marriage, I think I was just too young. I wasn't ready. Me too. Um, and we kind of grew apart. So. Similar to what Wendy did after that marriage ended, I ended up living in Hawaii for about a year. I think I found myself in that living situation. And you found wife number two. <laughs> and I found wife number two. <laughs> and was um, it that that one, similar or different than the first one? It was much different. It was based a lot on addiction. We were, you know, both drinking and doing drugs and stuff a lot. And so obviously when she was ready to stop and I wasn't ready to stop, that's what ended that marriage. We had moved back to, to Colorado for a while and I got a job as a chef in Northern California. So we had both moved to Northern California and she was a sommelier and I was a chef. So. It's a great area to be in for that business. And then, of course, my alcoholism is what ended that marriage. And so then I moved back to Colorado, got out of the restaurant business, got into technology. And, you know, that's what started me on my road to recovery, even though I was still drinking. Yep. So shortly after that, it's about a year after that that we met. So it was like about a year after Eric's marriage number two and about a year after my mar marriage number two that we found each other. But Eric still wasn't, he still hadn't stopped drinking yet. So I think. Um, yeah, but I think I learned what I was meant to learn about sure. myself and the relationships and how to treat people and how to support people. So when I, met Wendy, I knew there was something special about her. You know, I had to make it work. And what advice would you guys give to someone that was in the middle of addictions within a relationship? Somebody's not going to want to stop until they're ready. You can't make somebody stop. It just never works out that way. You can try and lead them in the right direction, but until they're ready, they're not going to stop. So that being said, you know, you got to do like Wendy did and draw some boundaries. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to the flip side, if you are the, not the addict, but the spouse or significant other, you, Eric's right. You can't make that decision for someone else. So you have to make some decisions for yourself, what you're going to live with. And if you have kids, for example, what you want your children to, to be around and live with and, 
I didn't even want my dog to be around those ups and downs. Like I really was very clear on my boundaries. And I think that if you are, if you're the spouse or significant other of a, of an addict of any sort, then you're going to have to make some decisions about what you're willing to live with and how many years you're willing to waste. If you can't make that decision on your own, then you absolutely have to get some help. You absolutely have to talk to somebody because I would have been really angry if I would have spent five years, 10 years, 20 years miserable with an addict that wasn't willing to stop. That's my life too. And last question, what is it that your partner does that you know they love you? Oh my gosh, everything he does. First thing in the morning, he's got coffee ready for me. He supports my business efforts. He he talks to me. One of the things I love about Eric is he's he's my go guy. Like he always whatever I want to do, he wants to go. He never goes, "Well, who's going to be there?" "Oh, I don't know them." Well, you know, he, whatever I want, after this interview, we're driving down the coast to meet some friends for lunch. And tomorrow we're driving up the coast to meet some friends for lunch. I mean, he never says, but I don't, I don't know them. Like, I don't want to go or I'm too tired or I'd rather watch football. He wants to be with me. He genuinely wants to spend time. We're best friends. I just love that. Being present in our relationship is when you notice all the little things that the other person does. The little things, you know, like setting up your toothbrush when you're getting ready for bed, or, you know, those kind of things. It's just, you know that they care to go to those lengths to make every tiny detail. Eric and Wendy, we want to really thank you for being on the podcast today. Now, you guys have, when do you have a business? I, I understand, right? It, right. Did you want to maybe uh, talk a little bit about that? And, and if people are sure. interested, they can connect with you. So my business name is Barcode Branding, like my name, Wendy Barr. So Barcode has two R's, Barcode Branding. And as I mentioned, I have a master's degree in graphic design, packaging design and branding. So when I, um, after I was laid off, I started my own business. It's a branding agency. We're a full service design agency that focuses on business branding, business strategy, and development. I have a business partner. She's amazing. She lives in Colorado. And we work with small businesses. We're female owned and operated, but we work with all sorts of small businesses that um, understand that branding and business are inseparable. And in this crowded marketplace, if you're not well branded, you really can't succeed. You can't really be seen out there. So yeah, so that's what we do. Uh, we we work on the front end business strategy, making sure that they have a solid business foundation. And then once we feel that their business foundation is solid and they have a great business plan and they have their programs, products, services, marketing, all of that stuff in order, then we move into the actual visual identity and do graphic design for them. And do you have a um, website that people can you know see your work? Barcodebranding.com, B-A-R-R-C-O-D-E, branding.com. Well, Wendy and Eric, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I, I think this would be very helpful for a lot of people out there that may be struggling with, you know, some of the similar things that you guys have struggled with in your relationship. 
people have been sharing stories for thousands of years to grow, to heal, and to bond. And we hope that by you guys sharing your story, it's enriched your lives and the lives of our listeners. Indeed. Thanks. Thanks, Dr. Ray and Jean. Yeah, thank you both. We want to wholeheartedly thank you, our listeners, for joining us today and for listening to Couple Synergy. Our passion is in helping couples have happy and healthy relationships. And this podcast gives us a fun way of bringing our knowledge and expertise to you, our listeners. For all you listening, please subscribe to our podcast and please leave us a review. It really helps us out. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, please email us at contact at couplesynergy.com. For more information about Couple Synergy and our programs such as Relationship 101, the Couples Weekend Intensive, and our premier program called Couple to Couple, look us up online at couplesynergy.com. And if you know someone who could benefit from this episode, Please download it and share it. And thank you for listening. Until next time, synergize your life, synergize your love. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Kedkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Kedkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez.